Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me in the Score uh, Podcast Studio is my good buddy John Mattis. John, what's going on, man? Not much. You forgot Swanky. It's Podcast pretty swanky. Too. It's swanky. Yeah, there's an esports <laughs> sign here. I mean, it's compared to my usual digs. This is a uh, a nice reprieve, and I don't think we're gonna get any ambulances on today's show. No, so I'm it's hoping be not. A, a PDOcast first. I mean, there is a window over there, so maybe, maybe, maybe we might need to pipe some in uh, artificially. Uh, get the, get my producer on it afterwards. Um, I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. We've been talking about doing it for a while, and the plan today is we're gonna do a two part crossover. So we're going to do the Western Conference on my podcast, and then we're going to go over to yours, uh, the Puck Pursuit podcast, and we're going to do the Eastern Conference version. So hopefully people listen to it. And I don't mean, they don't have to listen to that order. It's totally fine. I'm, if they're listening to this, it's probably first. No, it's got to be yours but, first. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have so many inside <laughs> jokes on the second episode, oh, it's so gonna it's going to make no sense if you don't listen to this first. Um, okay. So when I was looking at the Western Conference, we're going to do sort of, we're going to jump around. We're going to talk about the most interesting storylines, maybe the questions facing some of the teams involved. The most interesting thing to me in the West right now, and I did not see this coming heading into the year, is that both of the wildcard teams currently are in the Pacific Division. And it looks like we could potentially have five Pacific Division teams in the Western Conference playoffs, which obviously it's still in the early going. And, you know, at this point, it's like one game. It's like a one or two point difference. So very easily, Dallas could claw in, Minnesota could claw in. I, I think St. Louis's season so far has been one of the most surprising storylines to me. But um, do you think this can continue? And do you think this is? I mean, are you surprised this is? I am because I did, definitely did not see this coming. No, no, it's it's really odd, and even I feel like it's come on pretty pretty quickly here as of late with the Pacific all of a sudden becoming a quote unquote juggernaut in this conference, like. The, I think what it comes down to is that the St. Louis Blues were supposed to hang with, uh, I don't know if they were supposed to hang with Nashville and Winnipeg, but be like a, a peg below them. Yep. And they've been utterly disappointing. Chicago's been worse than I thought that they would be. Like, don't get me wrong, I didn't expect them to make the playoffs, but the fact that they're, um, them and LA are, are hanging out the bo- at the basement of uh, the Western Conference and the league overall is, is pretty concerning um, and surprising. And then, you know, the Vancouver Canucks started off strong and they've tailed off, but they're still, you know, they're technically not out of it and they could, right. you know, grab one of those wild card spots hypothetically. So when you sort of mix it all together and blend it, it compared to, let's say, the Eastern Conference, and, you know, we're going to get to that obviously later on, on my podcast, but there's been a lot of negative stories, I'll say, in, in the Western Conference teams, like just kind of plummeting, whereas yeah. the, the East, I feel like there's a few that are outperforming expectations, right. like, you know, the Habs or, or the Islanders. So mm-hmm. um, I guess it's a product of, of a lot of things going wrong. Um, and now we're seeing the Pacific uh, kind of out of nowhere. 
uh, in my mind, uh, especially when the Ducks are in second in that division. Like, that that alone is, is, is confusing me. Yeah, and I mean, if you told me before the year that we'd be in this current situation with the five teams representing them, I'd be like, all right, well, Arizona's got to be one of them just because they came in with so much preseason hype and how strongly they ended last season. And obviously, I guess one of the keys to picking them as a sleeper this team this year was, oh, hopefully we're going to finally see 55 to 60 games from Monty Ranta, and then now he might be out for the season and at least for the foreseeable future. And, and that's kind of... A big time buzzkill for them and very disappointing because you'd like to see just based on his per game stats how good he's been for him to take that next step and be a, a workhorse number one goalie in the league but yeah i think st louis i think you undersold a little bit how big of a disappointment it's been because i was talking them up quite a bit in the in the summer i you know i didn't love their moves from a long-term perspective when you look at the contract especially for a guy like tyler bozak you, you think okay you know they probably overpaid and maybe two three years down the line it's going to look bad but if you just looked at it for this year for 2018-19 it looked like all the moves were going to be a net positive and this was a team that was already decent to begin with last year so you would think for sure they could i don't think no one anyone thought they'd join winnipeg and Asheville there but i thought they were pretty safe as kind of that third team in the central division and maybe overhaul in the western conference and i mean they've already gotten their coach fired uh i don't know what's going on in that there I, I i think jake allen is a train wreck and i'm sure they're looking for other options maybe billy huso comes up and finally shoulders some of that workload but it's so bizarre and then you're hearing all these rumors about petrangelo potentially being moved but he's on the ir now vlad tarasenko might be available i mean it seems like a team that's in massive turmoil and i forgot who it was so i can't give them credit for it but someone made a joke because i was tweeting about how the blackhawks have completely bottomed out and they're like man even even at sucking the blackhawks are better than the st louis blues so i mean nothing can go right for that team apparently no, it's it's really disheartening, really, right? When you when you think about um, what what they were able to accomplish in the off season, like you know Tyler Bozak, okay, he's not going to change the world, but he's kind of just been there all yep. season, just whatever, uh, not not really a difference maker. Ryan O'Reilly's looked excellent, mm-hmm. so you give him a check mark there. Uh, David Prawn's had a nice transition back to St. Louis, but. So, so you don't really necessarily focus on what they did in the summer when you're thinking about, you know, how do I diagnose what's going on there? Right. It's the other parts of the roster. And I, you know, they, okay, they, they, they fire their coach and, and now the clock, I feel like is ticking on the GM there uh, with Armstrong. And I just, I don't know what they do at this point in the season. Cause we're about 40% through about 30 games for each team. Like th- this season is, unless they go on some incredible run yep. is is just it's gone it's gone they got they got to throw in the towel in that sense so do they approach say the deadline which is in a couple months so they have some time to to really think it over but do they approach that as like a fire sale or do they kind of hold hold on to what they've acquired over over the uh the summer and obviously the the tarasenko's and petrangelo's of their of their team or you know i just it's it's really it's really gone just so south that you you start kind of um, bringing up existential questions about this team, yep. right? It's not it's not that they're they're even you know within a, a, an arm's length of of the playoffs right now, and it just keeps getting worse. You, like you brought up with the Tarasenko rumors, like really would they ever think about trading a guy like Tarasenko? And it sounds like the report there was kind of misconstrued by an aggregator or whatever, but. Yep. At the end of the day, uh, the fact that Tarasenko's name is even like you know being discussed right. over the phone between GMs that that says there's some serious issues in in St. Louis, and it goes far beyond what was done in the summer. For sure, yeah, I think we we definitely get carried away with that as uh, as fans and analysts. Like every player is technically available for yeah. the right price. Like yeah. I guess at this point, if Peter Shirley traded Connor McDavid, I think there might be like legitimate <laughs> riots in Edmonton. But I mean, you know, every every player has their price and everyone's available. And obviously when you hear a guy like Tarasenko get brought up in discussions, that's going to, you know, raise some eyebrows. Uh, he's a heck of a player for whatever reason. Uh, people seem to not be willing to buy in on on him as an elite player. But I don't know, like the Blues are pretty committed to this team. I mean, I'm just looking at their at their cap friendly page and for the most part, it's a lot of guys who are on the books for at least three, four, four more years. So it's like, you know, they have good players for sure. They could cut bait on and actually get something back for, but there's not a lot of like expiring tangible pieces here that they could strip if they became a seller at this year's deadline. And the other bizarre thing is like, I just thought they'd be so much deeper. I mean, maybe we got too excited about prospects like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo stepping up. And for whatever reason, um, it hasn't worked out yet. And I'm sure, you know, they have bright years ahead of them, but I don't know. It, 
it's one of those things where you kind of want to say, let's let's just stay the course and stay patient. But obviously, when you have this much money tied up to veteran players and you're not performing, something's eventually going to give. And they didn't even get that, uh, you know, coach firing, coach hiring bounce back that we sometimes see where teams, the first at least handful of games play a little bit better. It's kind of just been stagnant flatline in st louis well when you look at all the coach firings right the only new coach that is is hitchcock that's seen an impact uh that's seen the the wins come along with their presence so it's i don't know like you said st louis like their roster isn't set up necessarily even you know for them to be um you know the talk of the west this season anyways but it's just the fact that it went sideways so quickly off the hop here that you start kind of scratching your head and thinking of alternatives and it's never good when when you know Petrangelo's name the, the the captain is is out there as a rumor, right? right. So, um, I would imagine in that dressing room things aren't very uh, aren't very pleasant at this moment. Well, so if we look at the Pacific Division, I think we both agree that and I, like if you're looking for positives for the Central Division, you're thinking, okay, if you're a fan of Dallas or Minnesota, how can you claw back into this? And obviously, you're within striking distance to begin with, but who's going to fall out? And I'd say we do obviously both point to Anaheim as sort of being the obvious team just based on sort of how flimsy their resume is as a playoff team right now. At the same time, though, um, you know, the thing that's worked for them is they've had the best goaltending in the league. And I, Ryan Miller's out now. They got brought Chad Johnson. In. We'll see how that works. But, I mean, John Gibson's saved like over 20 goals above average right now. And he's trending towards having the best individual goalie season we've really seen in the analytics era. And maybe he can't continue being this good for the rest of the season, but I don't think anyone's expecting him to all of a sudden fall back off and turn into a pumpkin either. So if you're just looking at the blueprint for how Anaheim's going to tread water and remain in the playoff bubble, like the formula seems pretty legit from that perspective. I don't think their ceiling's that high. Like eventually, like we saw in last year's first round series against San Jose, that lack of team speed's going to catch up to them and the lack of depth. But in terms of this regular season, I feel like You'd pick, you'd pick them as the most obvious regression candidate, but I'm not sure how much we can realistically expect them to really regress. Yeah, you hit on it there at the end with the regression candidate because they, the, they have minus 10 goal differential. Not good for a playoff team at mm-hmm. this point in the season. Like That's a fair amount of goals there, yep. um, which hints, you know, John Gibson is standing on his head most nights and it's working out okay in the short term. But, you know, uh, to go along with that is is the shot numbers, the attempt numbers, the scoring chance numbers where uh, typical of, of Randy Carlisle teams, they're just getting crushed yep. in every metric. And it's just not a recipe for success. Like as we've seen year and year, year after year, I should say, uh, there is one team that somehow squeaks into the playoffs with these terrible underlying numbers. And, and maybe given the start that they've had and the runway they've given themselves, maybe it's the Ducks. Yeah. But like you take like like if you just extrapolate John Gibson, how good is this team? Especially when you factor in injuries like right now, Cam Fowler's out, yep. Ricard Raquel's out, yep. Corey Perry. You mentioned Ryan Miller, who's been really good. I should should add a, along with with Gibson that tandem in general's been stellar. So when you take out John Gibson, like what is this team? And mm. and it's almost unfair to the guy to expect him to over an eighty two game season be the guy like there's so many nights where you're you know you see the the twitter screenshots they're getting outshot like 30 to literally 30 to 5 after the second and i'm not even like making that up that's that happens it's just i have no faith in this team but they've given themselves a very very good head start here i know it's kind of like old hat at this point for us to you know talk about randy carlisle and his effect on it but when i'm looking at the roster i mean Obviously, Corey Perry is not the player he once was, but we're expecting him to come back sometime around, I feel like, late January maybe, and he'll at least be another piece for them to use. Otherwise, though, like, I actually, obviously, guys, like, if you have Pontus Aberg playing on your top line, you're probably reaching for straws, but I think he's, like, a nice little player if he's one of your depth guys. I mean, Andre Kasha, I really love. Ryan Getzoff, while he's healthy, is still one of the best centers in the league. There's pieces there, and, and, especially with the blue line, it's not that slow of a team, which is always why it's kind of surprising. Like when you watch that series against San Jose last year, they're skating laps around them and making them look silly. And you're like, wow, this is a really slow old team. But if you actually look at the parts right now, I mean, they trade for Daniel Sprong, Nick Ritchie, like they have quite a bit of youth and maybe they're over relying on it. I know early in the year they were really relying on guys like Sam Steele and Isaac Lundestrom and they were getting caved in with some of the most shocking underlying numbers you possibly ever (laughs) see. Um, And they clearly weren't ready yet, but like this is a team that's drafted well and they have quite a bit of depth and maybe there's a mismatch in timeline between where that youth is and their developmental curve and where the veterans are. And they can't find that harmony there. But 
I don't think like they're as bad as their underlying numbers look, but they've been going on for so long now that you sort of eventually have to go like, okay, well, you know, the coach and the system and whatever else is going on here is probably the real deal. So I don't think it's reasonable to expect for them to suddenly get better at five on five, but I don't know if they're going to get that much worse just because their goaltending is going to keep them in it on a, on a night to night basis. So it's pretty tricky. Like if I was a team like Dallas, especially with what they have committed to this roster right now, and you're sitting on the outside, whereas a team like that is, is hanging on to a playoff spot a third of the way into the season. Like I'd be scratching my head and wondering what's going on and how do I amend that? Because it's uh it's pretty concerning. We're, we're almost approaching the halfway point at this point. Like it's uh, it's time to start taking some of these numbers pretty seriously. Yeah. The, the thing with the ducks is I like, I feel like almost every year I get excited about their roster yeah. and like even guys like who have come through the ranks over the last few years, like Montour and, and mm-hmm. Manson, like somehow they develop these guys, even though they always f- end up finishing at the top of the standings and, I don't know what it is about it again like we don't want to harp on on the randy carlisle angle but there's something about his system that takes a team kind of out of its its kind of preferred state and and brings them down this road where they end up like just it doesn't make sense right so i, I guess i guess the ducks are are an, an interesting case in terms of uh, the talent on their team and the youth coming in and does it does it align this year i don't know if it does like maybe maybe we wait one more year but then again you start talking about Corey Perry yeah. yeah so it's uh, like you said it's it's the trickiest part i think about building in in the nhl in this era is like finding ways that your youth can intersect with your your older team or sorry the older players on your team like you see with the winnipeg jets right now they're at a perfect yep. sort of pinnacle where they have kyle connor patrick line etc coming through while bufflin wheeler little are yep. sort are still in their prime or just exiting their prime and i feel like anaheim is almost just you know kind of the reverse of that where they have some decent young players coming up but they have no middle ground right um, a team that's really, so there's three teams in the Pacific Division that are really catching my eye in terms of how high their ceiling could realistically be and whether one of them could potentially even challenge a team like Nashville and Winnipeg. Because I think, are we still in agreement that Winnipeg and Nashville are the two best teams in the Western Conference? Yeah, absolutely. So if one of these teams is going to challenge them, it seems like San Jose on paper would be the one with the highest upside just because we've seen flashes this year of sort of that next gear they can hit that seems like it's higher than anyone else's when everything's really firing on cylinders, when their defense pairs are humming, when they're rolling four lines, and when Martin Jones can at least just be like a league average goalie to kind of keep them in it and not submarine them. But I look at this Calgary team and they really, uh, I keep circling back to them just because the offensive firepower they have is so tremendous there. And I guess it's ultimately going to come down to whether their goaltending can hold up. And I wonder if, you know, Mike Smith's been one of the worst goalies in the league this year. I know he had a bit of a hot stretch here recently, but I don't think he's very reliable. I'm not sure how much you can expect from David Riddick. So I wonder if they're going to be a team that's going to be potentially linked to Jimmy Howard, potentially linked. To, I don't know what other goalies are available. Maybe if Columbus falls out of the race, maybe Sergey Bobrovsky comes appealing. But like, I think this team's one at least viable goalie away from potentially jumping into that pantheon of Western Conference teams. Yeah, a couple of things here. You do the watchability rankings at yeah. the beginning of the season. Like, I don't know where I you had Calgary. too low on them. Yeah, I don't know where you had Calgary, but it's got to be like yeah. top five now. Yeah, their like, games have been tremendous and sometimes for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But for their fans, I'm sure they're <laughs> going to really, the blood pressure is pretty high. But I mean, yeah, they've been remarkable to watch. Yeah, even last night we're recording yeah. this on, uh, what day is it again? Uh, today, it's uh, Thursday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, so Wednesday night, uh, they end up coming back and winning in overtime and just Johnny Goudreau in, in OT as usual. Um, but when you mix in Goudreau, Kachuk, even Mike Smith is a fun goalie to watch because right. of his, you know, puck handling abilities and whatnot. They, you know, they, they're pretty high up there on my list. And, and even Sam Bennett, he's found his, his niche as kind of this annoying puck retriever guy who can put in the odd point. Um, but, you know, to your larger point, um, I was thinking about this today, like, it's it, i guess it's a matter of how how many ch- like do they want to put their chips in the middle of the table this year because if so then go after bobrovsky assuming he's available right. um otherwise i guess you, you you try to weather the storm with with riddich and and yeah. uh mike smith but it's it's you know winning so fleeting right and in, in sports like do you really if you're leading the pacific uh near the the trade deadline do you want to just sit on your hands i don't know and like it's not like it's been a small stretch here with Mike Smith. Like this is a guy who is just up and down, up and down throughout the years. And even this year, he goes yeah. on a nice streak and then, you know, he falls off a cliff. He goes on a nice streak, falls off a cliff. So if you are a serious contender, and I don't know what the the internal outlook is, um, at least in regards to the short term, but 
you got to think that they're in in the Flames front office. They're thinking about like who can we possibly target because this we don't want this to go sideways because of a goaltending issue. Right, and I mean last year was obviously disappointing with them not making the playoffs, but two years ago. You know, I, I believe they got swept by the Ducks in that first round series, but like every one of the games came down to the wire or some sort of shenanigans happened. And it was pretty much just Brian Elliott just completely fell apart in that series. And that team was probably good enough to actually make a little bit of a run. So I wonder how much of that factors into it. Well, as must, there must be like a psychological element where it's like you don't want to enter the playoffs again with all those questions because I imagine it'd be very disheartening. And I wonder, do we kind of downplay this stuff? Do we place enough emphasis or enough value on what guys like Johnny Goodrow do for the guys around them. Because, you know, we typically just think of this stuff in a vacuum, especially with shooting percentage. And we go, you know, there's only so much an individual player can do, but whether it's been guys like Henrik Sedin in the past or Joe Thornton in his prime, like they've shown that if you put someone next to them with at least a certain baseline level of capability, they're going to probably elevate their ceiling as a finisher quite a bit. And look at what Elias Lindholm's done this year. I know he came into the league with really high pedigree and he was part of that McKinnon class with Monaghan and, and all those guys. But I mean, for four or five years there, I'm not sure how much of it was the Carolina stink and how much of it was is Johnny Goodrow now, but he's going to score like 30-something goals while shooting 15 to 20%. And you look at the goals he's scoring, and it's very legit. It's for the most part Johnny Goodrow attracting a ton of attention and giving him the puck and right in his wheelhouse and him just hammering it home. And it's like, man, this is, this is pretty valuable. And I wonder if we place enough emphasis on... There's obviously not that many, not that many guys that can do that, but it's so valuable because Goodrow does it for himself, but he also makes everyone around him that much better. This is why hopefully we'll get our hands on some statistics like gravity score. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've talked about this in the past. Yeah. Uh, it's just like Johnny Goodrow can kind of just stick handle his way anywhere. Right. And their guys are drawn to him. And then when they're drawn to him, the pucks on his teammates stick and yep. you know, Lindholm, he comes over in, in the Hamilton trade and he's, He's kind of like the forgotten piece, right? Because right. everyone's excited about Hannafin. Oh, you know, Bill Peters can really, you know, mold this guy into something special. And yep. Hannafin's been pretty good. But I'd say Lindholm is the guy who's uh, jumping off the page at this point. With, with that in mind and not going off on uh, a tangent too much, but has that trade, at least in the short term or what? That was in the summer. So let's say six months. Is that a win-win at this point? Because Adam Fox is actually doing well in, yeah. in Carolina. Obviously, Dougie Hamilton's doing right. his thing. Like, is that almost like a nice win-win there? Yeah, and obviously Michael Furlan was looking great at the start of the year with Sebastian Ajo, and now he's out with injury. But you know, he seems like at least like one of those guys that can bounce around the top of your lineup and and play with other great players and do do at least a serviceable enough job. Um, yeah, I think Hamilton's obviously been a little bit disappointing. Like his numbers are still good, but he hasn't taken that leap that people were hoping for in a new situation where he'd hopefully just finally the training wheels would come off and he'd yep, play twenty five yep. minutes a night. And it, at this point, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know what's going on there, but it's. For Carolina, I mean, you just look, they're, ha- they're having a historically bad offensive season in terms of shooting percentage. And it, there's been something going on with the numbers there for long enough, and it's probably above your and my pay grade to try and figure out what that is. But, I mean, they give away Jeff Skinner this summer, mm-hmm. and he's got over 20 goals already. They give away Elias Lindholm, he's already got 16. And obviously, both those guys are in great situations to thrive playing next to Jack Eichel and Johnny Goodrow, respectively. But So I don't think they'd be having the types of seasons they are right now in Carolina. But considering the offensive struggles and considering the two players we're talking about there, like it's that's a pretty tough pill to swallow for Carolina and their fan base that they're watching these guys just completely explode offensively while this team struggles to score one or two goals on a given night. Don't worry, Cliff Poo's gonna come through the ranks. He's and gonna he'll explode. Be the next oh, big thing. oh, and that and that third round pick they got in twenty twenty one, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna light it up. And I know Eric Tulski's watching. I, I apologize, Eric. We had to we had to go there. Um, no, I don't know the Flames. I like I've I was high on them last year coming into the season and obviously they disappointed i was high on them this year but i think a lot of people were waiting for them to to kind of prove something before they got behind them but when i looked at the pacific division and started going through all the teams and you know the strong back end in calgary and the high end skill up front i just thought this is sort of this is their entry point to being near the top of the division because as we discussed off the top like the expectations for the pacific was were pretty low yeah uh, McDavid's always a factor, you know, and in turn, the, the Oilers are always a factor. But like, you know, in Vegas, everyone thought regression, but how far? So like, I, I, I thought Calgary was going to be pretty solid this year, first or second in the division, and they're they're doing it right now. But I think they're, the way they're doing it, I guess you could say, and, and the, you know, how they're they're winning games, I think is is beyond my expectations. Yeah, it is. And we'll, we'll see. I know that, you know, they've notoriously um, in the past under Brad True Living been reluctant to 
go out at the deadline and make a big splash. I remember last year, while they were kind of on the fringe of a playoff spot there, we were all pointing to that uh, wing spot next to Kachuk and Backlund and going, if they can upgrade from Michael Froelich here with a guy who can actually convert some of the possession these guys are generating. And we were looking at guys like Mike Hoffman and so on and so forth. Um, they were reluctant to do so just because they do have their own internal cap and they also have all this other stuff to consider. So historically, they've been kind of reluctant to do so. But I wonder, just with the landscape right now and with how good this team is, whether they look around and they go, this might be our chance to really optimize on all this. And unfortunately, James, like what they could really use is what they thought they were getting in James Neal this summer. And that's kind of been one of the big disappointments. I think it's been stunning to watch him play because... You know, the numbers are one thing, but just from the eye test, he looks so washed up right now. I, he just can't move around the ice. Like, I, I used to make these jokes about how Jerome McGinley could score 20 goals uh, as a 50-year-old. You just need to wheel him to the spots and his, get in the puck and he'll shoot it. Like, they literally need to wheel James Neal to the scoring areas right now because he physically cannot get there himself. What is it? I don't know. There's some old cliche about your hands are the last things to yeah. go. And you would so you assume, like, James Neal, okay. Even on the power play, like, for example, with, with Sam Gagne and what he's, you know, not necessarily this year, but in the past, how he was able to sort of parlay um, himself into this new type of player on the power play, mm-hmm. but also a fourth liner in Columbus. Like, Neil hasn't even been able to, to reach that low bar, right? Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's been, that's that's a good point. I, I honestly had overlooked that, but Neil's been a huge disappointment. Yeah. Um, okay, John, let's take a quick little break here to hear from a sponsor, and we're going to keep talking about the Western Conference and the other end of things. Let's chat about SeatGeek, who are making both today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast possible and also helping make your dreams come true by getting you into the building to watch your favorite team play live. Everyone knows that getting tickets online can be really complicated. There is hundreds of websites out there with varying levels of reliability and you never know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is so clutch because they are going to take all the guesswork out of the equation for you by doing all the work and making your life easier by saving you time, money, and effort. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app. And when you are there, you're going to realize by searching whatever event you want to go to that they are going to pull millions of tickets into one place and then they're going to grade all them based on value so you can see um, what's available and what you can get for the price range you're looking for. And every purchase with them is fully guaranteed. So when you're getting close to traction for a great value, you also know that you're shopping with confidence because what you're paying for is exactly what you're going to get. I love when my listeners send me pictures of themselves at these sporting events and uh, let me know that they got a great deal using SeatGeek. I'd I'd love to help you out there. And I try to get out there as often as I can. Um, I haven't had a chance to go to watch any games recently, but I'm going to make sure to uh, make a bigger priority of it in the new year. And whenever I have used them, I know that it is a really easy process and their app is super user-friendly, so there's no issues there. And as my listener... Um, and I'm kind of burying the lead here, but as my listener, if you're still listening, you get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get in on the deal, all you have to do is download the app that I was talking about and enter the promo code PDO and let them know that we sent you. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, here's my next question for you. Can anyone catch Elias Pettersson in the Calder Trophy, or it has it already been locked up, and is there a big bow tied around that trophy for him? Uh, a month ago, I said this is a no-brainer. It's Elias Patterson's award. But with the emergence, of, and this isn't like an overnight emergence, but uh, Miro Heiskanen mm-hmm. and Rasmus Dahlin mm-hmm. and uh, Brady Kachuk maybe, but there's now a four-horse race, in my opinion. I think Patterson, if I'm betting on it, I'm betting on him 10 times out of 10. But uh, in terms of, like, actually having some competition, it's there now. And, like, I wrote about Rasmus Dahlin maybe a month ago. I went down to Buffalo, and, like, even then, the the buzz around the team was, like, not only is this guy 18 in, in the NHL, which is, as a defenseman, like, ap- actually, like, historically kind of an anomaly, mm-hmm. but he's actually doing all these sort of quote-unquote veteran things, all these subtle things already. And that was, uh, you know, 10, 20 games into his career. And even since then, as uh, most listeners will will know, based on that, that gifts that, that's been going around uh, of him controlling the puck for, what, 20 seconds the other night? Right. Um, this guy's just, the poise is there, the confidence is there, the calmness. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, all, all the all the things that you heard about before he was drafted is sort of coming true. Yeah. Like, you know, all the Nicholas Lidstrom comparables and 
I'm not ready to go there yet. Like yeah. he's still so incredibly young, but like now I'm starting to see why scouts were literally drooling over this guy. So, you know, Darlene definitely in the conversation yep. and then Haskinen is like right there, especially with the workload that he's had and the fact that he has, you know, for the most part tackled it, you know, yep. the stars blue line has been a little decimated and, and he stepped in and not missed a beat really. Well, the tricky thing is, I think there's, there's two different questions, right? In terms of the actual Calder race, it feels like, uh, those defensemen are going to have a tough time putting together enough counting stats offensively to challenge Pedersen just because we know how these awards usually work in terms of voting and the voters are going to get wowed by the high point totals. Was it, was it Ekblad was the last guy? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was kind of a, a bit of a down year in terms of the class. And, but similarly, I think people at least factored in the, how big of an anomaly it was that it, he was playing at that age in such a big role in the NHL at that position. But with Pedersen, I mean, We'll talk about the other guys here in a second, but with him, I was just looking up while you were talking. He's pretty much top 10 in like every offensive category you can look at, and it becomes even more impressive when you account for ice time just because he's played less than your typical superstars play. Um, you know, 20 of his 22 five on five points are primary points, so it's not even like he's kind of riding. I mean, his his individual shooting percentage and his on ice shooting percentage are a bit elevated. I wonder what that's going to come back down to. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than league average just because he is that type of a talent. But I mean, he's been so good, and what he's done for that Vancouver team, just in terms of you talk about watchability, just making them relevant in league circles again is. Uh, it's it's an impossible thing to quantify it's it's we rarely see one player make that big of a difference from an excitement perspective in the nhl and he has done wonders for that team with the other guys you know dalin is he's trending upwards which the case for him would be okay a month from now he could blow this thing wide open just because if he starts starts playing those rasmus just the minutes that, that rasmus the other rasmus has been getting over the years all of a sudden the counting stats could come there as well and you know we've seen him rejuvenate uh, zach bogosian we've seen him play more and more uh, as phil housley's kind of been slowly spoon feeding him and taking the training wheels off and giving him more opportunities so i think the sky's the limit for him i just wonder in terms of his a bit slower start relatively and how much the house he's really willing to unleash him in year one those could be the only thing stopping him but in terms of a value perspective to his team and what his future outlook is like he's right there with patterson yeah another thing with darlene that i was able to kind of grasp when i went down to buffalo to cover him was like so he he was put on jake mccabe's mccabe's uh right wing because yeah. mccabe couldn't play on the right side and this is a guy who was like 10 years into his career and you know we hear about it all the time handedness is so important on the back end well like Darlene was fine and they they all of a sudden were just like I guess we have a right-handed defenseman now who shoots left you know what I mean so um that's another feather in his cap and I just think you know the, the the narrative slowly sort of slowly going towards his way a little bit but at the end of the day unless something drastic happens I think Pedersen has this uh, more or less in the bag. I think the more dis- interesting discussion is going to be Heiskanen versus Dahlin, uh, both in terms of who's the best rookie defenseman from this class and sort of moving forward. I think we'd both agree that Dahlin has higher upside. Um, you know, Heiskanen's been interesting because he looks so smooth out there. And with the Klingberg injury, especially, they've relied on him to play like 23 plus minutes a night on the top pair. And unfortunately, the combination of him and Essa Lindell has been kind of caved in a little bit and it's unfair to judge him negatively for that just because he's still a 19 year old defenseman who you know we've i was looking at this i wrote about this for elite prospects the other day and there's been like dowdy keith and maybe four or five other defensemen who in their rookie season below the age of 21 were playing these types of minutes that he's having and typically it's a pretty good indicator that if your coach trusts you that much this early into your career you're going to have a pretty good outlook for yourself there's certain guys on that list who obviously didn't wind up materializing at the superstar defenseman but i think that discussion is going to be fascinating moving forward it feels like those two guys are going to be kind of pitted against each other in that uh you know for whatever reason, there's gonna, we're going to like manufacture this artificial rivalry yeah, probably, that isn't probably. actually really there. It's like this Eastern Conference, Western Conference version of these two guys who all they really have in similar is, I guess they're both Scandinavian. They both came into the <laughs> league at the same time, and they're both young defensemen, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, and it's sort of a, I mean, it's a market thing too, right? With Dallas being you know on the grand you know national stage being forgotten about compared to say buffalo which um there's a lot of canadians that watch sabers games and they get a lot of um kind of love locally 
Um, so that's another thing to monitor too, is like, are we forgetting about Haskin in here, mm-hmm. you know, amid all this kind of Darlene and Pedersen, um, hype in these bigger markets, quote unquote, Buffalo is kind of a small market, but they love their savers. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing, like even just personally, like, uh, based on, you know, what I've consumed a lot more Pedersen and a lot more Darlene than, than Haskin. And yeah. even though I have made, made it a point to, to check him out because he's, um, he, he was, I would say he was like relatively high, like, uh, like hyped very, fairly high. I mean, the stars didn't want to trade him for Eric Carlson yeah. this summer. So, so. That, that clearly like, yeah, you know, I know people were high on him as a prospect heading in, but it's like, as soon as you hear that and this guy hasn't even played at the NHL level yet, I know a lot of people were like, that can't be right. Like what, what are they doing? <laughs> Especially with the trajectory of this franchise where they're kind of all in with this Ben Sagan core. So it would have made sense for them to really push all their chips in. But now when you watch this guy play and he's going to be cost controlled and he's only 19, like I think they're getting vindicated a little bit in their love for him and their reluctance to part with him for a guy who could leave this summer. Yeah, and I when you look at their blue line, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the their page in front of me, but they don't have much money tied up on the mm-hmm. blue line. Yeah, and well, Klingberg's one of the most team friendly contracts. And yeah. I mean, does does it end up being Klingberg and, and Haskinen as like one of the better one two punches on the back end yep. in the entire league? Like even just right now, yep. maybe. Like you could make the argument that let's let's say like over the next you know five ten years that they become kind of a dominant force back there mm-hmm. yeah with i think ultimately with this calder race like what shifts it in Pedersen's favor and i talk about this with mcdavid where he's reached a higher level of excellence where i don't even look at mcdavid versus anyone else in the league currently in terms of that discussion for who's the best player i look at it as like mcdavid versus historically great seasons and what those guys were doing over the years and with Pedersen we're not really comparing him to this rookie class anymore because like I think the second leading point getter from this class is like Colin White with 19 points or something and it's nearly half of what Pedersen has <laughs> um it's more so Pedersen versus just everyone else in the league and all the other stars regardless of where they're at in their individual careers and that's like the best thing you can say about this guy that he's still only 20 years old or whatever and he's in his first year and he's already like jumbled into that list of guys who are in their primes who've been playing in the league for five to ten years. When you mentioned uh, the ice time, he also yeah. missed uh, five games or so yeah, with that weeks, concussion, yeah. and that could have won. And still won Rookie of the Year in October. <laughs> that that could have, yeah, no, it like as you know, as everyone listening knows, like concussions are no joke. So I was actually thinking during that time, I'm like, is this sort of where? the the story changes and and Patterson actually becomes just a normal rookie and maybe you know he ends up taking a second block of time off to deal with the, you know what I mean like yeah, things can really sure. um change when you when you get a concussion but he came back really just as as he was so yeah and you being from the Vancouver market I'm mm-hmm. sure you feel it every day is 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 the hype like war, is it at a good level right now or is it like oh, is is Pedersen overhyped where like there's now this pressure of being like the next coming of of the Sedines I mean it's possible that the pressure could be um overly inflated he seems definitely without like psychoanalyzing him like the type of guy who would handle that in stride and not get like he just seems so chill about it um He's a little feisty, like a little he sassy is. with the media is. and stuff. He is, for sure. But no, he. I mean, he's been great. And, and the thing that I've been impressed with is it's not like he necessarily even has, um, you know, a running bait that he can fall back on. Like, obviously, I think people would love to see him and Brock Besser play together. It seems like a natural fit there. And they've had some good performances lately together. But Besser's been in and out of the lineup with injuries himself. And, you know, they've tried guys like Gold Dobin. They've tried Louis Erickson. They've bounced around different guys on his wings. And it hasn't really mattered. Like, there's been a few dry spells there as you just pick from any player but he's been pretty consistent in his performances and you know having two five-point games already is is a remarkable feat and i think the fan base is in vancouver is so excited about him that they went on some streak there where they lost like eight of ten games or whatever it was and normally um people would get you know want changes they'd want guys out shipped out of town they'd want something to happen they'd be down on the team and no one really cares about wins and losses at this point with this team like it's just like everyone just wants to watch Pedersen on a nightly basis wants to see him do his thing and I, I think they're completely content with however this season works out and that's that's amazing like for if you're Jim Benning and you're anyone in Vancouver running that team you're looking at this and you're going like we just afforded ourselves how much longer of a lease just because we have this guy and we can point to to him with our ownership and go, well, listen, we kind of found him in the draft and now we're going to develop him and build around him. So that's our vision and give us three more years to try and ex- execute this. And that's remarkable that one guy has that type of capability. And it's reminding me a bit of not to make this Toronto centric, but it's reminding me a little bit about the Leafs a couple of years ago where like 
oh, Austin Matthews is way better than we thought. Oh, right. Mitch Marner. Like, it's sort of a surprising, like, semi-competitive team where the year before was pretty dreadful. So, like, it's nice to see from afar that mm-hmm. Canucks fans can actually, like, get excited about something. And obviously, Horvat's been there for a while and, you know, Quinn Hughes and everything. But, like, Pedersen is the guy there now. He is. Oh, undoubtedly. Um, I'm looking at the rest of this Western Conference. I mean... Let's get into the central a little bit. I feel like we've really been Pacific heavy here, and for good reason. But like when it comes to Nashville and Winnipeg, um, I, I just I don't know what else is there is to say. Like I feel like we're all just kind of bracing ourselves for that rematch in the second division in the second in the second uh, round of the playoffs. Unfortunately, not the Western Conference Finals, and it's probably going to be another hotly contested six seven game series that's going to be really tight. And uh, I'm very curious to see how these two teams position themselves. Uh, both in terms of the race, because there's only one point separating them right now. And I guess as we saw last year, home ice might not be that big of a factor considering Winnipeg went into Nashville and won in Game 7. But I'm sure both teams would love to have that um, in their back pocket. And both teams, like we saw last year, are probably going to once again be buyers and really try to consolidate their teams and shore up any weaknesses. You know, Winnipeg last year brought in Paul Stasny, Nashville overpaid for Ryan Hartman, which was kind of a weird decision on their part. But I'm very curious to see what how these two teams look in the stretch run, because I feel like they're both going to get a bit of a shot in the arm in the trade deadline market. Uh, but right now, I mean, they both look locked and loaded. And even Nashville, I mean, they've got Forsberg out, they've got BK Subban out, and they're still winning games, and they're still a really good team. So it's a testament to how deep both those teams are. And I, I feel like they're kind of just navigating this regular season, trying to stay as healthy as possible, because they know, just like us, that that second round series is going to happen. Yeah, I feel like the Predators are almost entering the Capitals' ter- old territory right. because they ended up winning the Cup, but where every regular season they're just dominant. And yeah. then, you know, the playoffs, you know, in no way are they, you know, considered chokers, but they just they haven't won it yet. And I feel like we're we're slowly getting to that point with this team where year after year they're so good, they're at the top of the standings, and then, okay, does Pekka Rene stand on his head or does he fall apart? Um, so I have no, I have no like issues with them, uh, in terms of roster construction or anything, but I'm sort of like just mentally checking out a bit in terms of like, yeah. they're fine. They're awesome. But I like, you know, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. And, um, at the same time, I, I like even Victor Arvidsson, he's, he's having a good year. Um, there's, there's, there's a few candidates on there, um, who have really kind of stepped up. And even you mentioned the injuries, like this team, has if if you look back like I mean we'd have to actually pull up the rosters but I feel like David Poyle's done a really good job of of uh of supplementing or of of supporting the 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 core with like all these worker bees right. and now they're all sort of um they they just have every kind of hole plugged I guess you could say like at points they didn't have good secondary scoring scoring now I think they they more or less do like obviously you can always add another finisher but like that that's handled and then obviously the defense is fine and then you know in goal they have two starters so yeah. I feel like if there is a year this would be the year where I'd feel extra confident I guess about the Nashville Predators and that's why I'm I'm a little fatigued on their their regular season success. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, right now they've got Subban, Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Turris all out. And, um, you know, they're still at least treading water. It's, they're so deep. Um, and I think you're justified in that. I kind of feel the same way where it's like, and I'm sure their fans do a little bit too. Like, obviously, they have a great fan base who's enjoying this. And it's still a little bit new just because it's not like this has been going on for a decade. It's been only a couple of years now. But you're right. It's, it's, it's unfair, but it's one of those things where we're just not going to be impressed by the regular season. And you're just waiting to see how the playoffs are going to turn out. And, yeah, it's not an insult. It's just yeah. like the fact of the matter where it's like... It's just how it works. Washington, like, for years, it's like, wow, dominant again. Ovechkin, another 50-goal season. Yeah. You know, Backstrom, another 80-point season. And then playoffs come, and then, you know, it just sort of... It kind of messes with your head. Yeah, it does. Um, I wonder, like, Colorado is the third team in that Central Division, and I know that, you know, analytically, they're sort of a middle-of-the-pack team, um, and people aren't... I feel like there's no consensus whatsoever. Like the consensus on Nashville and Winnipeg is that they're the two best teams in the Western Conference. They're headed for this collision course with Colorado. Like depending on where you look on the internet, you're either going to find people <laughs> who think they're the best team ever, or you're going to find people who think they're not going to make the playoffs and they suck. And there's like no rational middle ground there. And I feel like I'm like on an island they're occupying. I'm like well, I just. I was just going to okay. say, <laughs> I, I, am I like an anomaly? Because yeah. I, I feel like I'm in the middle just because I, I can't get enough of the tantalizing first line, you know, Sam yep. Gerard, you know, Tyson Berry, like they have a lot of like, 
singular pieces that I really like or, you know, one line here, or, you know, one defense pair here. But like as a whole, I don't have a lot of faith in them. But yeah. the fact that they're um, that they're in the position that they're in right now, I, I, I have pretty, pretty high hopes for them in terms of making the playoffs. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess that's the way things go on the internet is you got to yeah. choose one side. Yeah, and really it's not, it's not to sexy it. to be like, oh, I mean, they're the third best team in the central division. And, you know, <laughs> probably I will see what's going to happen. But I mean, I want to personally apologize to Miko Rantanen and his family. I held his him family, at, well, his family, his friends, his loved ones, anyone in his life. I left him off my top 20 wingers list at the start of the year. And I heard about it from Avalanche fans. And he has obviously had an insane season where he has 51 points in his first 30 games or 52 points in his thir- first 30 games, um, which would be like a decent overall season. And he still has 50 plus games left to play. And he's going to cash in this year as, as part of that loaded RFA class. And he's the real deal. I mean, he's alleviated any questions or concerns or reservations people might've had about how much of a, he was a byproduct of playing with McKinnon and Landeskog. Um, you know, that's certainly a great spot for him to be in, but the individual skill itself is also a driving force for that line. And I don't know, where would you put that line in terms of, um, the pantheon in the league of like the most dominant, uh, forward units? Like it's gotta be right up there with healthy Bergeron and Marshawn Pasternak. I, there's very few like that might be it. I don't know. Like yeah, um, when the stars load up Radulov with Sagan and Ben. I'm not giving up on uh, the Bruins line being the best in hockey. Yeah. Like if I'm choosing one today, mm-hmm. gun to my head, I'm still picking that Bur- Bruins line. Right. But I mean, but the Avs have given us no reason to not consider their top line. Yeah. And then let me think. I mean, depending on which uh, first line you want to pick in Toronto, you could make a case for that. Um, ben and Sagan and Radulov. I mean, there's a couple of Jets lines, but I wouldn't say, you know, one is yeah. One is I, guess, my heart. I guess Shifley, Wheeler, Ehlers can be good, but for whatever reason, like, you know, Wheeler's five-on-five five numbers have been dropping off a little bit, and he's still obviously a tremendously effective player, but doesn't have that sort of dominance that he might have had for a few years. So, yeah, I think it's right up there. I mean, like, I, offensively, I think that Colorado Aval- Avalanche first line might be the most lethal, like, if you needed to get into a shootout with That's someone fair. and That's you to generate a goal in terms of just like a seven game series where you just wanted to just throttle the other team and just suffocate them that boston line as we've seen is probably the best because it's never going to give you the puck so that's probably a pretty useful thing to have in your back pocket i'll admit too i was late to ranting and like uh i monitored him a little bit last year but i really have gone out of my way to to watch him this year and obviously the numbers speak for themselves but my eyes have been really open so um i don't know if you want to like do a do a joint statement to the family or something but uh that might be an order well okay so i think it was after the duchene trade last year they the avalanche jared benner put together those three guys right right so since then at five on five they're outscoring teams 77 to 41 which is a plus six and obviously they've played together so much so the volume is more than pretty much anyone else you'll find out there. But I believe like the next best was like plus 20 or something. And it was that Radulov Ben second line. So, I mean, yeah, they've just been completely dominant and they're putting up like video game numbers at this point. And I keep waiting for them to slow down a little bit just because the concept of someone having 130 points in an NHL regular season in 2018, 19 seems just impossible. But as the weeks go by and that pace keeps going, it's like, at this point for him to not get 100 points he'd probably really have to either have an injury or just a massive massive slump which seems like it's not in the cards so i'm very curious to see what that next contract's going to look like for a lot of these rfas who are putting together ridiculous numbers because i don't know we can talk about this with the eastern conference stuff as well but i'm very curious for your take on sort of how that willie nylander situation is gonna impact some of these future cases and whether it's gonna lead to a bit more of uh player empowerment in the nhl because for the longest time the nhl has been this league where it's like team first guys can't have personality guys can't look after themselves they can't be selfish and we saw willie nylander justifiably hold out for his money for what he was worth and he got it and i'm always for players getting whatever they're worth because your shelf life for earning is very limited in the nhl and so i'm always gonna be on the player side in that regard and i'm just curious to see whether we're gonna see more of that and whether it's gonna completely influence the landscape I would think it would. And another thing that I think flew under the radar a bit in the summer was Drew Doughty being his own agent. Like, even though in hindsight, it was probably a bad idea because he didn't get maybe the deal that he could have got with an agent. But even that, like, he empowered himself to sit a- across the table from Rob Bl- Rob Blake and negotiate something. Like, I mean, that takes, first of all, it takes 
some big balls. Yeah. Um, and also, like he's just saying, like I, I can do whatever I want because I'm a player in this league and I'm a star and I can, you know, I can uh, kind of weave my way through this situation. I don't need anyone's help. And I thought that was that was something that wasn't talked about enough that in relation to uh, players, you know, I guess leaning more towards what's going on in the NBA where base, you know, when, when you think of social media and their reach or just, you know, their influence on the league, you know, negotiations and, and just, you know, the, the shift of power, like LeBron basically chooses whatever he wants to do. He coaches himself. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see the NHL to that state, but right. like, I think it's drifting slowly uh, towards the NBA in terms of uh, players taking a stand and going like, listen, we, are the product yep. and you're going to pay us appropriately because you are actually richer people than us. We're millionaires, you're billionaires. Yep. And I know that the cap system obviously kind of throws a wrench in everything because all of a sudden the owners have, have sort of a, like a, a door to go out of and, right. and say, Oh, you know, plead, uh, plead, uh, that, that they have no other option. Um, but I, I think, I think Nylander doing that was, was a bit of a, I don't know if I want to say like watershed moment. That sounds really dramatic, but yeah. I think it's a bit of a turning point. For sure. I mean, we always look for like kind of historical pre- precedents or, or, you know, something to point to that's happened in the past as a guiding point for it. And now if you're one of these guys, you can point to that and go like, well, this is what happened with Nylander. So I can feel a bit more secure in knowing that it might not work out the same way, but at least like I'm not on an island here just by myself. Um, okay. One final thing before we finish this up and move over to your podcast, the Kings and the Blackhawks are the two worst teams in the league. Um, it's, what was it, five years ago that they had that epic uh, seven-game series that was decided in overtime? 2013? 13, yeah. 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 So about five, six years ago, um, you know, combined, I think the Blackhawks won the Cup the next year. But since that year, so over the past four playoffs, four, four full seasons, they have like two combined playoff wins. Uh, they both obviously are united by the fact that they also have a ton of money devoted to a handful of guys who are either 30 or approaching 30 or are already on the wrong side of that. Where do you go if you're those teams? Because it's very easy as a fan to just say, blow it up, trade those guys. Um, there's a lot of considerations to keep in mind, especially for a team like Chicago, who people don't remember now what was going on in Chicago with the Blackhawks before Kane and Taves came around where their games weren't even being televised locally and nobody cared about that team and the crowds were pathetic and if they weren't in such a big market they probably would have been uh, a relocation candidate so I, I can see sort of the desire to not move away from this era of guys at the same time they're so bad this year and they have so much money tied up in these guys that it's unrealistic to expect that they're going to be better even next year or the year after that. So like, just how do you manage that where you have this aging core and all this money tied up in guys, but you can't just play it like a video game or like a fantasy GM where you just trade away the guys for draft picks and suck for a handful of years. Cause that's just not how it works sometimes. What I'll say is that I, I consider the LA Kings in a far worse situation than the Chicago Blackhawks, just based on, the the players that they have aside from Kopitar and Doughty um my opinion is to everyone else is available well maybe Jeff Carter you keep Jeff Carter around um but other than that and uh, the issue with with making everyone available is who wants some of these players right Dustin Brown I don't know with that contract um Jonathan Quick I don't know uh with his age and, and injury history like I just I just see Chicago as as a team that has a few more bright spots and a few more what ifs that might turn into something special. So, you know, Dylan Strom, I like that trade for him because it's a more of a home run hit or home mm-hmm. run swing yep. um, than, say, Nick Schmoltz, who they knew who, who he was. Right. So now they have Brendan Perlitti and potentially a second line center and Dylan Strom. We'll see what happens there. But I just feel like there's more. um there's more potential in Chicago with what they have right now that they don't necessarily have to um, bring out the dynamite and, and blow the thing up. But in LA, given the on ice product for the last two years with the slow pace and, you know, you know, a change in strategy, doing nothing to really um, up the, up the performance. Yep. I think it's, they have no choice, but to, to really like, uh, Cut, cut down to the bone like i don't know if that includes jake muzzin and those type of guys who yeah. are very valuable but um i think the la Kings should go that route that route and i think that the chicago blackhawks should be more band-aid um based if that makes sense because also their contracts with 
Taves and um, and Kane and and Keith and Seabrook like there are no moves and that that's yeah. gonna be really difficult and yeah. and Crawford and I just but both of both situations are perplexing and like I don't I don't envy Stan Bowman or Rob Blake right now right. to be honest but um, I I tend to think that that the Kings are a little uh, more desperate I guess to turn this thing around than Chicago yeah. No, that's true. At the same time, Chicago has somehow been worse than them this year, which uh, considering the start the Kings got off to, I thought was not possible. But Chicago's run ever since they fired uh, Quenville has been, I mean, they beat Pittsburgh last night. But other than that, I think they have like four wins in their past 22 or 23 games or something along those lines. So it's a pretty dreadful run they're on. And I guess you're right. Like Chicago has a few more... um, younger pieces who could conceivably take that next step with Strom, with Debrinkat. Um, you know, they've got some pieces they could trade. I think both these teams are really hoping that there's two compliance buyouts coming down the pike in the next CBA because that's pretty much the only way that I think Chicago is going to be able to shed Brent Seabrook's near $6 million cap hit for the end of time. So I think that's what they're banking on. And other than that, I mean, it just looks like we're headed towards at least another couple more years of these teams not making the playoffs. Well, and I think the takeaway from both of these situations is NHL teams shouldn't just be happy with, like, you know, you win a couple cups and then it's like, let's just ride this out and see what happens. Like, I think you always have to evolve, and clearly LA did not evolve. I think that's settled, but if we look at Chicago too, like maybe they should have went further in the direction of speed and skill and, and trying to just go completely, you know, towards the modern game. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if they, you know, went the other way necessarily, but like right. well, all they, of a sudden you can, you can become very irrelevant, like super, as we're seeing with these two teams. And I feel like LA, we really saw it coming with Chicago. We kind of saw it yeah. coming, but not to this extent. Not this so quickly, soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think they necessarily um, got passed by in terms of their philosophy. I think they just got, enamored with their core and they really bought into that whole loyalty component and one thing i really really dislike is whenever i tweet out about the blackhawks i always get at least a certain segment of fans not even fans of blackhawks fans of other teams whether it's the leafs or the canucks or whoever who come back and go oh well i would i would love the situation if you gave me the cups they wanted it's like those two things aren't mutually exclusive like you can be successful and win cups and not ruin the next five to 10 years of your franchise by signing these contracts. Like I, I get the whole loyalty component and you want to reward guys and there's a certain emotional attachment to it. But when you're talking about the types of contracts that a Brent Seabrook has, um, I just don't see where that gets you. Like you can thank him for his service. You can honor him after he retires by inducting his Jersey or whatever you want to do, but you, you don't need to uh, sacrifice your future. And those two things aren't necessarily tied. So I just wanted to point that out because I, I always get those fans who kind of link those two things together. And I just don't think it has to be that way. Twitter's not a good place for Twitter is for throwing good out uh, ca- uh, good, good takes <laughs> or and a lot of things. Uh, John, we're going to move over to your podcast now. We're going to talk about the Eastern Conference. Um, plug some stuff. Where can people find that? Where can people find the rest of your work? So the podcast is Puck Pursuit. I guess iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all Wherever those places. Your podcast. Yeah, that 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 line. Mm-hmm. Um, my work, uh, my Twitter is M A T I S Z J O H N Mattis John, um, and I'm in the Score app. Uh, working on a few stories right now. Always uh, looking for for new ideas and whatnot, and and kind of finding a balance between long long form features and columns and uh and podcasts right. so yeah puck pursuit would probably be the the easiest way to find me cool well i definitely recommend going over and listening to that and you can start with uh my appearance on that podcast so uh john i appreciate you taking the time and we will continue this conversation uh minutes from now before we get out of here i wanted to remind everyone that there's a couple ways they can help show love to the show and help support it uh, first and foremost is I'd really appreciate if you take the time to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the Hockeypedia cast. Uh, hopefully it's a five stars and hopefully you can add some sort of anecdote um, that you've enjoyed in the show or some particular component of it that uh, strikes your fancy and let iTunes know all about it because I've been told that that sort of stuff helps uh, keep us atop the ratings and helps boost our uh, stock with iTunes. So hopefully you'll do that. I've it only takes a minute or two and it'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, the other thing is, is that the Hockeypedia cast is now also available on Spotify. So whether if you're not listening to it on iTunes and maybe you're not a big Google play fan or using Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, Spotify is now available. So if you're sick of the recent playlist you've been listening to, you can hop over and listen to the PDO cast for a bit and then jump back into the music. Um, 
with that said, um, that's it for today's show. We are going to have a couple more here while I'm in Toronto. Uh, hopefully the audio quality is okay. We're using these handheld mics that I use when I'm doing in-person shows. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for rating and reviewing. And we'll be back soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.